38. Hear the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have the words of life. We pray that you would speak to us this day. Amen. So it is the biggest celebration in the world, Christmas, and rightly so. Who but Jesus deserves so much hoopla in his honor, colored lights and decorated trees, presents and parties, Christmas carols and cups of cheer, even kisses under a sprig of mistletoe, all in honor of Jesus the Savior of the world, God with us, the eternal King reigning on the throne of King David. The Feast of Christmas is the biggest party on earth. It marks the anniversary of a world-changing mystery, the day when God shattered the boundaries of space and time and broke into this world. God who is above history, out of history God who cannot be contained in any building or any planet. God, all-powerful, ageless, unbounded, is brought forth as a helpless baby, swaddled by his mother and laid in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. The ageless one piercing... The ages, the timeless one becoming the center of time, the creator of history becoming the axis on which history turns. It is a mystery, 
A mystery greater than all the unsolved mysteries of cosmology and particle physics. It is an enigma, and yet it is an unavoidable truth. God became human, and so we celebrate. Mary, the mother of Jesus, a young girl, not yet married, she had a tough and strange role to play. I wonder if her experience shouldn't be more instructive for us than it is. Often Mary is treated as so different from the rest of us that all we can do is admire her, but not really learn from her. Sometimes we treat Mary as if she were in a class all by herself, unlike any other human. Of course, her experience was unique. Only one person in the history of the world has been the mother of the second person of the Trinity. And yet, in spite of her special role in the history of the world, Mary was a regular human being. She wasn't divine. She didn't have superpowers. But then Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, came to Mary with extraordinary news. Extraordinary in so many ways. Mary, you are going to have a baby. How is that possible? I'm a virgin. Sometimes we think the virgin birth is the greatest miracle and the strangest mystery of Christmas. But that's just the beginning. Of the mystery. And the message of the angel doesn't end with the virgin birth. He goes on. He will be great, the angel says. How is that possible? I'm no one special. How can a great man come from a humble mother? Sure, every mother adores her children and thinks that they are the most wonderful creatures, but mothers are realistic too. And the first century Palestine wasn't a place where every child could grow up to be president. And he will be called the son of the Most High, the angel says. And now, maybe... The light begins to dawn on Mary. According to the 1906 edition of the Jewish Encyclopedia, Son of God and Son of the Most High are terms used for, quote, the real or ideal king over Israel, 2 Samuel 7, 14, and with reference to David and his dynasty, Psalm 89. Was the angel saying that Mary's Baby will be a successor to King David? Will the throne of David be reestablished? King Herod, the unpopular king of the Jews at the time that Jesus was born, ruled as a puppet of the Roman Empire, and he was not a descendant of David. And then the angel says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Well, that's pretty clear. Mary is being told that her son, this miracle child, will be great and that he will restore the throne of David. In other words, her child will be the long-expected Messiah, foretold by prophets for hundreds of years. Like every faithful Jew, Mary was waiting for the Messiah. Any mother's child might be the anointed one. 
The great political and military leader who would rise up and free Israel from foreign oppression. Being the mother of the Messiah would be an extraordinary privilege. Wonderful news for Mary, but within the realm of possibility for any Jewish mother. But then, finally, the angel says something so extraordinary that it seems to make no sense. He says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Telling Mary that her son, this son she's carrying, though she is a virgin, telling her that this son will reign over the house of Jacob forever is hard to make sense of because it means, well, it means that the son of Mary would be deathless. That he will live forever. King David ruled for 40 years. King Manasseh ruled for 55 years. The longest reign of any Israelite king up to that time. What would it mean for the son of Mary to reign forever? Pregnant, but still a virgin? It's hard to understand. Your son will be the Messiah? Well, that's wonderful, but it's conceivable. Your son will be deathless? What could that mean? We live long after the first Christmas. And we've heard the story a hundred times. We know the ending. So we're no longer surprised. Maybe we were surprised once when we were young. But the experience of Mary, the experience of her contemporaries, was of a deep, generations-long yearning for the ancient promises to be fulfilled combined with the unfolding shocks and surprises at the unexpected ways in which those promises were fulfilled. Yes, every faithful Jew was expecting the Messiah to come. No, no one would have expected the child to be born without an earthly father. Yes, every faithful Jew expected the throne of David to be reestablished. No, no one would have expected the descendant of David to be deathless. In our reading from 2 Samuel, we see King David at the peak of his power. He has risen from being a lowly shepherd boy, the youngest son in an unknown family, to being the king of Israel. Secure in his palace behind the high walls of a hilltop city of Jerusalem. Surrounding enemies, the Philistines, the Moabites, the Amorites have all been subdued and the country is prosperous. It's unified and it is at peace. And so King David turns to the prophet Nathan and says that he wants to build a proper temple for God, for God who has made all of this possible. In some ways, Israel was still a young country. Though it had been 500 years from the exodus out of Egypt to the reign of David, the settling of the country was slow 
and the security of the country was sporadic during the time before David, and as often as not, the people worshipped pseudo-gods instead of remaining loyal to Yahweh. But during the reign of David, Israel reached a kind of maturity. The borders were secured. Jerusalem was established as the capital. False religion was expelled. Peace and prosperity reigned. During all of that time, during the hundreds of years since the children of Israel left Egypt, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the footstool of Yahweh and which held the tablets of the law, received at Mount Sinai and a jar of manna collected in the wilderness, the Ark along with the presence of God Most High, moved from place to place and found its home in a tabernacle, which is nothing more than a glorified tent. There was no temple, no permanent structure where God was present and where His people could come to worship Him. The Israelites were once a nomadic, tent-dwelling people, but by the reign of King David, they were settled, living in wooden and stone houses inside walled cities. And David thought that it was not right that he, the king, should live in a well-built house while Almighty God dwelt in a tent. And so he proposed to build a permanent structure for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God tells David through the prophet Nathan that David will not build the temple. He has too much blood on his hands. But his son Solomon will build it. I'm guessing that David was disappointed. I get the feeling that building the temple was on his bucket list. But after God offers David the news that he will not build this temple, God also offers David the consolation that no king could ever expect. Your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne will be established forever. In the past couple of decades, many political commentators have talked about one permanent majority or another. In 2001... Carl Rove thought that George W. Bush would, quote, usher in a permanent Republican majority. Earlier this month, the Huffington Post ran an article insisting that, quote, a permanent Democratic majority is a demographic inevitability, end quote. Anytime we get too invested in what we've created... Anytime we get too invested in some power structure in this world, from the smallest cause or club or company to the largest party or nation or empire, we should remind ourselves that it will pass away. It will not last forever. No majority will be permanent. It's okay to have loyalties It's okay to cheer for the hometown football team, to labor for your company, to vote for your candidate, to love your country. But our loyalties to bounded and limited things should never be unbounded or unlimited. That's called idolatry. It is a violation of the first commandment. Unbounded, 
unlimited loyalty must only be given to he who is unbounded and unlimited. That's called worship. The things of this world, no matter how grand they are, are only here for a while. Indeed, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. Which means that loyalty, even to so-called Mother Earth, cannot be ultimate without being idolatrous. And so this promise God makes to King David is hard to understand. Your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. It's hard to understand until we understand that a deathless king was destined to sit on that throne, King Jesus. Amid all the birthing and growing and changing and dying things of this world, amid all of the ephemera that we buy and later throw away, amid all of the lives that we bring into the world and then later rest in the ground, Amid all of the temporary things of this life, there are some jewels, some rare treasures, which are, in fact, eternal. Amid all of the fleeting kingdoms of this world, there is an eternal kingdom on whose throne sits the deathless king. And here's the important point. We can be citizens of that eternal kingdom if we will swear allegiance to the deathless king. Tomorrow morning is Christmas, the day we celebrate the mystery of eternal God invading the temporary world. Believe it or not, God designed us as eternal creatures. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and He has set eternity in the human heart. God made us to be with Him eternally. The only thing that keeps us from the eternal treasure of our heart's deepest desires is clinging to the temporary world, to the stuff that is passing away. The Apostle John writes, this to the church. He writes, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. If we cling to this dying kingdom, we miss out on the eternal kingdom. Jesus put it this way, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where are our hearts. Where's our treasure? What is most important to us? Some of you know that I am a man with a lot of hobbies and a lot of extracurricular interests. I collect things, paintings and books and maps and 
postcards. I study things. Victorian, British detective novels. African-American Presbyterians. Defunct South American kingdoms. And I really enjoy all of these little... Oh, you laugh. That's the tip of the iceberg. I really enjoy these little diversions from my work life, from my family life. Someone who knew me well once called me an enthusiast. But you know what? In the long run, all of those little diversions really don't count. And when the chips are down, they will all be kicked to the curb. Because my treasures are eternal. Because what really counts in my life is what will last forever. The anchor of that eternal treasure is my faith in Jesus Christ. I know that Jesus is the Son of God. He was born of a virgin and He suffered and He died as an atonement for my sin. I know that I am united with Christ through faith and that my sins are forgiven and that I will live with Jesus forever. I understand that the promises God made in His eternal unchanging Word are true and I trust them with my life, with my future with my eternity, and that faith, which is anchored in eternal things, bears fruit in my life here on earth. This life is temporary. It will pass away, but this life also counts, and it counts for eternity. Some of the stuff around us, most of the stuff around us, is going to pass away. Stuff like my hobbies will be kicked to the curb. But other stuff in this life is tethered to the eternal things of God by unbreakable cords. And those need to be our treasures. You want to know what my earthly treasures are? Most of them are here in this room. God called me To be a husband to Ava and to be a father to Rosie and Calvin and Mia. My relationship with my wife and my family has eternal consequences. The marriage of a man and a woman is a mirror of Christ's love for the church. My wife and my family are not my hobby. They are my life. They are my treasure. And I am called to lay down anything that threatens to interrupt that treasured life. God also called me to be the pastor of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. My relationship with you has eternal consequences. I've been called to shepherd you in the name of Jesus Christ. One day I will give an account to Almighty God. Of how I led this congregation. You are not my hobby. You're not even my job. You are my life. You are my treasure. And I must lay down everything that threatens to interrupt that treasured relationship. Let us not treat our lives like a hobby. And let's not make our hobbies into our life. Some things are eternally important. And other things are just interesting for a while. 
George Frederick Handel's Messiah is sung every Christmas by choirs all over the world, and we all know and love to sing along with the hallelujah chorus of that oratorio. The words are taken from Revelation 11.15, where in the King James Version we read, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was... And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. In the Feast of Christmas, we celebrate the mystery of God who is above history, outside of history. God who cannot be contained in any building or on any planet. God all-powerful, ageless, and unbounded being brought forth as a helpless child swaddled by His virgin mother and laid in a humble manger. In the Feast of Christmas... We celebrate the ageless one, the deathless one, piercing the ages and entering into the realms of death. As we celebrate this Christmas, as we focus on the birth of Jesus and look forward to His imminent return, let us also remember that the reign of Jesus is forever. He is God before the creation of the world. At His first advent, He was the Savior and atoning sacrifice who came into the world. At His second advent, He will be the judge to whom everyone in this world will give an account. And in the new Jerusalem, the final home of all who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, King Jesus will reign in unstoppable glory, unopposed, completely in control in a world filled with peace And unity and security. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. A four week season of preparation for the feast of Christmas. And by a quirk of the calendar, today is also Christmas Eve. The day before the great feast. The time to prepare for Christmas is short. Are you ready? And the time to prepare for eternity is even shorter. Are you ready? Have you let go of the world that is passing away and grabbed hold of the world that lasts forever? Have you sworn allegiance to King Jesus, the eternal ruler of that eternal realm? Please, don't face Christmas unprepared. Don't face eternity unprepared. Let us pray. Father God, for your word, we give you thanks. For sending your son, we give you thanks. For sending us your Holy Spirit to make this word come alive, we give you thanks. We pray in this Advent season that you continue to prepare us to prepare us to receive Christ and to live into eternal things and to turn our back on the temporary things. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are the king of all ages, that you were king before this world was formed and that you will be king there to welcome us home one day. Lord, we ask that you would invade our world 
that you would dethrone us and place yourself on the throne of our hearts. Because without you, there is no hope. You are the Lord. We worship you this day. Amen.